Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at Show at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Stream of Thought here on Wari Desho and today we'll be covering episode 8 of the Ancient Magus' Bride. Oh, that's what I'd like to be saying unfortunately folks but we're not in that timeline. I'm afraid that I'm stuck in a different timeline, a bit more of a hellish one in my personal opinion. But I do have some help. I do have a, someone here who can give me some critical therapy. You, of course, all know him as the Subtle Doctor. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so, we're moving on to Frank's episode 8, Boys X Girls, which... <laughs> the X. Was that the name of a good Charlotte song? Oh my god. Uh, It sounds right. It sounds like it would be. I may possibly have just ruined this for everyone who likes this episode. Sorry about that. Wasn't there... The song I kept thinking of was, um... Was it Quiet Riot? Come on, feel the noise. Girls, rock your boys. (laughs) That's also a valid one as well. So, first off, though, as we are want to do, we want to talk about production staff. Uh, That's right. There are some other things that we want to bring up that are not specific to the episode as well. But first off, let's talk about who actually made it. And Doc, if you would, please, I think that you have some insight on a particularly story director behind this episode. (laughs) I do. I do. Um, Well, first, I will mention the writer because the writer is someone who's written a bunch of episodes for the show. I believe two, four, five, and six were written by, uh, and eight now, were written by uh, Naotaka Hayashi. He is uh, credited with series composition, so he's one of the head writers, uh, but he's also writing a bunch of the episodes. Um, the director you mentioned, such an interesting dude with an interesting resume, a really fantastic resume, and I- I'll tell you, uh, I'll, I'll rather, I'll tell everyone what I told you on Discord I really like Darling in the Franks, but I feel that this is a show that is beneath this director <laughs> in terms of <laughs> like his history and everything. So it's a, a man by the name of Tensai Okamura. Um, but for a long time, uh, he was working under the name of Yutaka Okamura. And as Yutaka Okamura, he worked on 
uh, or he worked as an animator for a whole bunch of Yoshiaki Kawajiri productions. You may know Yoshiaki Kawajiri as the director of Ninja Scroll. Oh! Yes. Things like Demon City Shinjuku, Wicked City, <laughs> Cyber City 080808. Oh, uh, City Suits. Did, did he do the anime adaptation of Sim City? Is there an anime adaptation of Sin City? The there Frank should... Miller comic? No, I, I meant Sim City, as in the oh, Max's oh, game. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no. Oh, no, he should, though. Kawajiri should do a Sim City anime, though. I would I would crowdfund that shit in a heartbeat. About how EA drives it into the ground. It's yes. not actually about the yes. city, it's just about... <laughs> it's just the production of the game! And how EA shat all over it. Oh my god. Goku Midnight Eye is another one that Kawajiri, <laughs> Kawajiri fans stop, may no, love. Stop, 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 stop. That, I know of that first episode of that show, and I cannot believe it because in that episode, the plot revolves around ejaculation, specifically about swans ejaculating oh deadly god. viruses. Oh my god. And that's what happens in the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Clax so fucking ejaculates all over the front. Like, I did not ever think that there would be a common thread. Like, don't spoil. Don't spoil it. We're getting ahead of ourselves. I've got tears. I've got tears in my eyes. Because I can't believe oh that God. that's a connection. He's animated two different ejaculation scenes. Well, well, I don't know if he animated this one in Frank's, but he he was... He was experienced. He, he was the animation director and a key animator in the aforementioned Goku Midnight Eye, as well as working on animation for all the other Kawajiri things that I mentioned. And then, uh, before all that, he went and he was an assistant key animator on My Neighbor Totoro. So there you go. There's there's an interesting blend of stuff. But then uh, he began uh, working under the name that he works under now, Tensai Okamura. And Tensai Okamura is super duper famous for to me anyway right being the director for a whole bunch of studio bones projects like wolf's reign mm-hmm. is a little thing you might have heard of darker than black wow seasons one and two and of the well, gaiden no, 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 oav no, wait there's a second oh wait season? a minute i'm sorry i'm sorry there is not a second season i i apologize nah there's not Season one was fine. Ended perfectly. Didn't need to be continued. Um, he storyboarded seven episodes of Cowboy Bebop. Oh. Did a lot of animation stuff for Cowboy Bebop the movie. The director of Blue Exorcist, which is an underrated shonen thing. Oh, and directed the the anime version of the classic tokusatsu story, Android Kikaider. Um, so this guy got mad chops, in my opinion. Wolf's Reign is one of, like, the best anime I can only really speak to the shows I've seen here, and the earlier stuff mostly I don't really know of other than through internet reviews and such. I have, however, seen Dark and the Black all the way through, mm-hmm. which was a legitimately great uh, and well-animated show. It's good. It's good. It's solid. So, as you say, though, with that CV and that resume, well, I suppose if you did want anyone to animate your ejaculate, then it, you know, <laughs> it might have done right. Ah! You looked at the man with experience. Uh, also, for for those who are interested, there is a a short film compilation called Memories. Uh, oh, three yes. three short films in that, and Okamura directed uh, the Stink Bomb, 
film in that, which is a really interesting dark comedy. It's it's not the one that I think everyone thinks about or talks about. Magnetic Rose, the one with Koji Morimoto and Satoshi Kon, but Stink Bomb is really good, and Tensei Okamoto directed it. So yeah, this all this to say, they got this guy to come direct episode eight of Darling in the Franks, Boys X Girls, and I, I just incredibly fascinating to me incredibly fascinating that a man who did key animation for wings of oniamis wow really it's directing Shit. Yeah, yeah yeah he did he worked on ava too like it did some storyboarding and like he, he's got an incredible resume under both his working names and again i love franks but you just gotta you gotta be like does he just owe someone a favor <laughs> Has someone got blackmail for Does someone witness him committing a murder? I mean, like what what's going on here exactly? I just, it is it also you know, in all seriousness, it's super interesting um how these like production relationships come together. Um I'd love to know how how they pull in the different episode directors from <laughs> from outside of their um their ecosystem. I mean, we every week that we've done this so far, it feels like we've either had someone who's notable or someone who's a complete unknown. We're going yeah. up and down in a sine wave. It's strange. To me, Okamura is like the most n- notable person he's, so far, he's the I think. 10 out of 10 on notability. Yeah. I should probably start graphing this, actually. I do have Excel. <laughs> Maybe I should start plotting it on a little you know, line chart. Uh-huh. So, um, do you have anything else you want to add on the production? No, that's all I could find. I, I wasn't able to track down any names for animation director, storyboard, or what have you for episode eight. I looked in a few places, but information was a little scarce this week. Fair enough. Okay, so let's do some housekeeping before we actually talk about this episode. There was recently, I think, a con in which, uh, a convention that is, which uh, some Trigger staff attended, um, going to the second hand, and they made a point uh, during their Q&A about the production of Franks, which is that as a co-pro, it's been apparently an absolute fucking nightmare to the point where they won't do another co-pro again, or at least they've Wow. Mostly as a logistical thing, not because they're butting heads, but just because it's been too difficult to properly collaborate and effectively, you know, work with A1 because of logistical nightmares. And we've discussed before about the, p- the production issues that have been rumoured, and now we've got word from the horse's mouth. And there's another thing that they said as well, which is that Trigger, they, that is Trigger, will go for their certain signature style over making sense. Now, I'm reading that and I'm thinking to myself, why can't you do both? Because they have done both. Well, so this is, so I think they would say that Gurren Lagann and Kill the Kill are not examples of shows that make sense. They're, They're shows that rush boldly forward to do trigger things in the way that trigger wants to do them much much more so than than like being being something that you can i guess really what am i trying to say being something that makes sense well i think the kill the kill made perfect sense i understood character motivations i understood the world i wasn't constantly asking questions or generally being confused about elements of the show both in and out of it universe like why it was made how what the design decisions were or you know what the characters want to do that's what i mean when i say that they have done it where they've made sorry they've had their cake and eaten it they've had their style and they've had it make sense so okay fine i get it 
you want to have a signature style as a studio. That's absolutely fine. I would rather that be the case than have every studio design everything the exact same way. So we're just, you know, we're looking at what feels like photocopies. Nothing feels distinct or unique. And to its credit, Frank's is a unique looking show. It has that trigger style. It has the four sparkles that I mentioned, you know, from episode four when Strelizia breaks out of the hangar. Mm-hmm. But part of me thinks that if you have the capacity also to have things make sense, you might want to have that be the way as well. It's not a mutually exclusive thing. You can do both. And they have, but, well, anyway, that's just that's just an observation. Let's just put mm-hmm. it that way. I think if I had to guess, like, you might be working with different, maybe different definitions of, or, or senses, rather, to, to be confusing, mm. of what making sense kind of means. That's probably true. It, because this show feels like it is trying to be more grounded than <laughs> kill a, than kill a kill or Gurren Lagan ever tried to be. You know what I mean? Like it's. I think the reason we're asking questions about the world building and confused about it is because it's a show that is is trying to do world building, and I guess trigger is just not really concerned with finer details of that sort of thing. Too bad they keep bringing them up then, but well, anyway. Well, I know, well, hence, like, the co-pro, <laughs> like, the, the 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 difficulties that you talked about them alluding to, right? Is, like, yeah. they, they have their house style, and, and A1 has a different way, I guess, of doing things, and they're yeah. coming into conflict creatively, perhaps. Hmm. And as I've alluded to before, like, production difficulties don't necessarily need to be about the animation or the music. Mm-hmm. It can just simply be the script. I mean... Phantom Menace, that thing didn't have a working script before they started producing models for it and such. Oh my god. So it just goes to show how important it is to have a fully functioning script. And as I've said before, like a lot of Frank's problems I've seen so far really do come off as like first draft issues, because they can all be they can all be undone. If you had a script docs to go over them and just unwrite them or change them, you know, they they'd be fine. But that's not what we've got. And if that's the case of the production issues, it that actually ironically makes sense. I get that. But much as I complained about Ava's ending, you know, and the fact that it was done on post-it notes, you only get marks of what you submit at the end. I never did an exam where I got points for what I left at home, I'm afraid. So, hey, there we go. I'm going to be cruel about it. I'm sorry. Judge the show for what you see on the screen, for sure. I just think all the surrounding details make it an interesting, an interesting sort of show, right? Whether... Whether you think it's good or not, whether you think it failed or not, like it's an interest. This is an interesting uh, thing that is being attempted. Indeed, and the the story behind it is pretty pretty fascinating. But but absolutely, yes, judge the product as product as given. Yeah, mm-hmm. and now onto the second bit of housekeeping before we discuss this episode, which involves of all people Kim Kardashian. Ah. <laughs> no, really. Yeah. So picture this, right? Picture a 30-year-old bald anime fan on the bus to work in the morning, and he's looking over his phone, going through Twitter, just checking out various things, and he spots what looks like fan art of Zero Two. And he thinks, oh, let's have a look at this. Let's see what this is about. And he opens the picture, uh, which has been posted by Danica Harrod. Shout-outs to her. Yep, Way- of, of Waypoint, fine video game website. Indeed. And you look at this picture, and you think, wait a minute, there's some other bits and bobs here. It's a really good picture, of eight, uh, eight. Ugh. No, I'm not talking about Nero's yeah. Masters. Sorry, it's a really good picture of Zero Two. The fan art is fantastic, 
But it's not been posted on Danica's Twitter per se. It's been posted on Kim Kardashian's Instagram. And it was a screenshot shared of that by Danica. And I thought, that's madness. Like, this is, this is fake. And I checked the Twitter uh, thread that she posted this in. And she actually provided a link to Kim's Instagram with this, directly to this fan art. And there it is. Now, <laughs> here's the thing, right? I heard recently that Kim, like, was talking about how she has always liked anime and was now telling people about it. And I thought, that's cool. I never would have thought the, the anime that she would have posted about would have been Darling in the Franks. Uh, don't ask me why. <laughs> I, I'm basing this solely on just surprise. But hey, there we go. She was speaking specifically in the Instagram post about how she liked Zero Two's hair in that picture. She called it her hair aspo or hair aspiration. Now, the reason I bring this up is for a couple of points. First off, we need to talk about gatekeeping. Specifically, if you feel like being a gatekeeper, kindly go fuck yourself. Because people have been saying like, oh, you know, give me a mal link or it didn't happen or, you know, wow, 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 like all these people suddenly coming out liking anime. Fuck oh, off. Oh my gosh. Eat shit and kiss my ass. I don't particularly care for any of Kim's previous works that she's done, like Keeping Up With The Kardashians, all that stuff. I'm not the target audience for Missly, but it always just smacks me of reality TV dribble. Could not care one iota for it. But that being said, if you've got people like her and Michael uh, B. Jordan, who played Killmonger in Black Panther, coming mm-hmm. out in support of anime, take your allies where you can get them. Be grateful for the fact that there are people who are passionate about anime and are willing to talk about it to audiences who otherwise wouldn't really care about it. I mean, let's be very honest here about our own podcast, for example. We're probably talking in a vacuum of people who are already into anime. Yeah. We're speaking to the in crowd. We're preaching to the choir. Disclaimer, the choir not being the crazy cult from Bloodborne. A different, (laughs) talking about a different choir. (laughs) Crazy cult, cool outfits, but a, a group that you probably don't want to associate yourself with. Indeed. Just just a PSA. Now, carry on. (laughs) So, as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier. I'm I'm always happy to have more people, famous or not, you know, enjoying the stuff that they enjoy and being proud of talking about that to other people. That's long been a stigma that I've had issues with. I've had people, like, you know, go to me say, hey, you're still watching that anime thing? Uh, in the same way that someone might go to you and say, hey, are you still, you know, injecting black tar heroin? So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that that's a thing. But what we really don't need is pissants, you know, being arseholes about this because people are now going on talking about it. If you have that childlike mentality where suddenly your precious little thing that you've coveted and kept close is now being, in your mind, appropriated by someone who's popular or a celebrity or whatever that attitude belonged in you know the playground when you were seven grow the fuck up i'm not gonna mince words here i'm not interested in you know playing nice with these kind of people who Mm. you know they see something positive like this and just decide to take a giant dump all over it kindly go fuck yourself but there's a second and more positive point that i want to make about all this and i think this just relates to franks in general but also I think it's something that is worth reminding ourselves of here. Now, Kim's specific comment here about liking uh, Zero Two's hair. Now, I have no hair myself, so I obviously can't comment much on this. But I think it speaks to something that you need to remind yourself about when you're critiquing anime. And that as much as I might have, you know, had problems with Franks, and when we get to this episode shortly, I have 
more problems, surprise, surprise. If you could derive value from a show like this, where you can look at a character like Zero to and think, I like her hair, and, you know, I'd like to style it like that. Even if it's something relatively superficial like that, or if you then go to something else, like, you know, you sympathize with Ichigo's plight, whatever. Whatever you want to take from that, or if even going outside of France. If you, like, if you go to Goku Midnight Eye and you and you take inspiration from <laughs> the part, <laughs> yay! Oh fuck! <laughs> uh, okay, let's just let's just call it positive inspiration. You know, where yes. you yes, let, don't be inspired by people being dickheads in shows. There's there's a reason that you're not meant to sympathize with them. But I'm talking about positive kind of stuff. If you take away genuine positive value from a show even if it's a troubled or bad show, broadly speaking, you know, whatever consensus may say or whatever, you know, smarmy curmudgeons like me might say on podcasts, then I have to say that is fantastic and I hope that people keep doing that. You know, don't take my view on this show. I can't speak for other people on it. I can only offer my own opinion and I would never pretend to, you know, speak for others. So if you've got people like Kim saying, I like, you know, Zero Two's hair and I think it's great, that's fucking brilliant. I love it. More of the same. Enjoy the things that you can, even if it's only little bits of a show. If you can just pick out little nuggets in otherwise bad shows and enjoy them, treasure those little parts. Just go with it. So, all told, I think that Kim liking anime is a good thing, even though I could say I'm not really interested in her as a celebrity or a person or her previous works. But you know what? The more people who are interested and willing to speak openly about liking this stuff will eventually destigmatize it. It'll be the thing that mm-hmm. I want to see happen where I can talk about it in the same way that people might talk about live-action television. Like, oh, do you see that recent episode of this? And I can go, well, I didn't, but I did see this recent episode of this. And you get my point. Yep, yep. And I I really don't have anything to add. I think you, you summed it up quite well. I mean, just let people enjoy things. Yeah. She's she's not hurting you. Just Just leave it alone. It's really annoying. Yeah, go fuck yourself, basically. I mean, Doc's too polite, so I'll speak... You know, I'll be the I'll be the Zorame of this podcast. I'll be the barking dog. And I'll tell it as I see it, which is that if you want to be a gatekeeper, fuck off. Okay, now let's actually talk about the episode. And yeah. it, it starts with ejaculation. Blue goo. It really does. So the Franks, uh, our five, you know, Franks, and the, our ten, you know, characters are all out fighting this Klaxosaur. It just cuts straight into it. There's no... Prelude's just like we're right in, and it's doing the trigger thing of like playing a, uh, a bit of like late nineties, early aughts rap rock, <laughs> while <laughs> while they beat up this Klaxosaur. Indeed, was it just me though, or did the audio mixing seem a bit off on this? Because it felt like the rap song was a bit too quiet. It was, and then they mixed it up for when the the dialogue uh, went down, and they're doing you, you know when Strelizia like impaled it. You know they cranked it for that, but no, I agree with you. They could, they'll probably remix it for the discs. It fell a bit off, but I'm not gonna. I'm not that fussed about small things like that. I got where they were going with it. Mm-hmm. What I am fussed about though, and this is again me, you know, being piss and vinegar. I'm very sorry, folks. Broken record here. Shaden's gonna go off on a fucking wild rant again. But okay, the Klaxosaur ejaculates all over the frags because that's what it is. Let's not pretend it's anything that it isn't. It literally spooges all over them. That's. I feel like that's not what got you riled up, though. Oh, no. No, it's not. So they react this like, what the fuck is this stuff? And it doesn't seem to do anything to the Franks themselves. Like, oh, we're fine. We're fine. But what then happens is that this blue goo seeps 
through the cracks of the Frex's armor somehow and starts pouring all over the girls and it starts melting their parasite suits. And when this happens, the boys, who obviously don't get hit by a single drop of this stuff, yes, nice one, fucking fame directs in my ass. They, you know, they like, oh my God, boobs and flesh and stuff. And they start freaking out a little bit. Yeah. Teenagers as basically, basically the girls are inadvertently stripping in front of them and they uh, react as boys, uh, you know, falling into puberty probably would. They're varying degrees of horny and flustered and just thrown off their games, as it were. Yes, with the exception of Mitsuru, who, in a small nice touch, I like the fact we don't see him actually have a reaction to this. Cause... What are you, gay, Mitsuru? Huh? <laughs> it's consistent with his uh, with his general attitude throughout this episode, though, if I don't want to deal with this shit. He does lightly blush and just turn turn his face to the side indignantly, as if he's too good for this nonsense. Mm. I have to admit, like, this was probably the episode where I actually emphasized with him the most, at least in terms of how I felt it was what was going on. <laughs> but but my actual criticisms of this. Okay, let's start with the minor nitpicky stuff. Why the fuck do the Franks have, like, you know, gaps in the armor that can allow this kind of stuff to slip through? Like... If a Klaxosaur farts on them, would that kill them all with its, like, deadly nerve gas fart? Because it would seep in through the gaps? I guess it's the same reason the clothes talk and kill the kill. Big ol' shrug. <laughs> they just wanted to do a thing. Yeah. I just, I felt like that, um, as sort of, they, they, this is, like, meant to be played for, for shock. You know, you see it and you're just like, oh, oh my god, this is really happening. The girls got ejaculated on, basically. And it's their clothes are melting off. And, uh, you know, it serves the the dual purposes of being a catalyst for the... This is very much a one-off episode. Like, the plot is pretty self-contained. Despite, like, you know, alluding to some stuff that, that we'll find out later on. Or that we may or may not, but... Mm-hmm. But it's largely self-contained, and the the thing that happens here it kicks that self-contained plot off. Um, but it it also is you know the as I said to you again in Discord, it, the fan service at all costs. This was their yeah. time. This was their time to get it in. Yeah, but I'm not, I'm not done yet. I have more that I want to say. I'm, okay. that, that was that was one minor nitpick. Another nitpick. So this acid can't burn because it is acidic. Can't burn through the Frax's armor, but it can burn through the parasite suits, but it then doesn't actually harm the women in any way, shape, or form. Like, they all should be in absolute agony. Like, <laughs> you burn plastic onto your hand by accident, and it just, it fucking hurts. But they have no reaction to it. Now, I actually know that this is because they're downloaded in, their consciousnesses are downloaded into the Franks themselves. In fact, there's a nice little touch where Miku actually taps the side of her Franks' head to, like, get Zorame to do something. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was really... I thought that was quite neat. I like that. So I get that, but there's, there's no injury to them after the fact. It it just gets rid of the clothes because, of course, it does. Whatever. Fine, okay. It's, it's totally... It's just a means to an end. I mean, I it just... Is. It's a, don't think too hard about it. Sort of the wise. It's like... Because this... Thematically, this episode is about stripping away layers of that guard us and well the physical motif is like this so this is this is the beginning of that they want to kick off 
a, a story about this sort of thing. So they strip off the the clothes, unfortunately, unwillingly, um, of the of the ladies, and you have you have the fan service moment, you know. So yes. However, th- those are the minor nitpicks. Here's the major issues I have with this. Why does this not happen to the guys as well? Now, you can write, you can say, well, they didn't get hit by it. That's fine. But what I'm talking about is why does it only happen to the women? Right. Why Why is this centered solely around how the guys feel? And, and if you think this is just specific to this moment, this is the entirety of the episode. It's about them discovering what it means to be horny and, you know, aroused and all that. But there's nothing from the girls' side of things. that They're passive actors in all of this. I know. And that's that, you're right. I mean, that's a big, you know, a big thing. Like, the show is clearly written by and directed by men. Which is a big problem when we get to the later lesson that this episode tries to push on the male characters. Funnily enough, <laughs> I can't fucking believe this. It's like... They wrote this without a sense of irony or self-awareness, but we'll get to that later. I'm still not done, though. I'm still not fucking done. Now, here's the thing, right? I get that this is the moment where they're looking at the girls, like, you know, and they're thinking, oh my god, they're, you know, they're sexy and all that. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm getting strange feelings. This is immediately following the beach episode. They've seen them in fucking swimsuits. This is not new. To be fair, there's more revealed here than on the beach. Well, look, also, okay, all right, well, let's say, all right, say uh, on March 1st, you see a hot lady in a revealing outfit, and then say on March 8th, you see that same hot lady in a different revealing outfit. You still going to be aroused by that? I'm s- <laughs> of course I am. I mean, I hope you're predicting my future here, Doc, although it did happen <laughs> on March the 1st, but anyway. Oh, sad. No. I'm sorry. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I really will have to get myself a Daki mirror at this point, just give up. <laughs> But anyway, no, um, I get where you're coming from, but that's just a reaction, not like the way the way it presents, like, as if this has never happened before. Like, they're completely taken by surprise by this. Remember, they do live in a society where, like, they, it's, sex and sexuality are not nearly as pervasive, despite the language of it being coded into their combat and everything. The beach episode suggested they cottoned on quite quickly to, you know, why it's good to see girls in bikinis and such. Well, yeah, but it's just not, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen very often. It's not like, you know, they don't have a stash of magazines or or Uh, movies to watch. Uh, I see. You know what I mean? Like they, seeing them like that is the only time they get to see that stuff. Okay, I'll make, I'll concede that's a fair point. That if you only see it every so often, if you get whatever, you know, morsels you can, you can as a horny, you know, guy then I suppose that makes sense. I'll allow that. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like to really to be, live in a society that is not like bombarded with sexual imagery because it's fuck it's just uh, this is not me being puritanical. I'm I'm cool with it. I like it. I'm sex positive about it, but it is everywhere. You're thinking of Shin and Mesa, actually, now, funnily enough. Uh-huh. Which you, <laughs> you brought up I, earlier, right? This, I didn't, actually, but I have brought up previously in our other discussions elsewhere. That's what I, th- but, I would say. I thought that was on cast. My fault. <laughs> no, that's fine. But funnily enough, that is exactly the environment that I was in. And Shin and Mesa does what Franks is trying to do so much better. It's actually kind of funny, thinking about it. <laughs> they make a fucking dildo in that show as a fucking plot point. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, okay, let's move away from that. So yeah, I genuinely speaking did not enjoy this opening at all, and it soured my enjoyment of the rest of the episode. Because don't get me wrong, like, I think that 
a lot of this episode is quite all right, although uninspired in its comedy, which we'll get to. Can I make a an argument before we move on to the the next plot point? Uh, but I can I can wait for you to finish with this one if you're still on this one. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna quickly finish. Okay. It, so, and then you can give me the old left right hook. You know, fight me, dog. Fight <laughs> me in the streets. Defend your anime. Don't let it be sassed by the likes of me. <laughs> um, but the point I was going to make was that I think that there is still some decent moments in this episode, but first impressions really do count. And when you've got a convoluted way of setting up the episode's, you know, conflicts as this, something that is so asinine and nonsensical, like you could have written any other way of doing this. Or even if I, as I said, if they had just had the guys have this episode as well and then get the girls involved on it, maybe have them start feeling the same way, then I would be a lot more forgiving of it. But this is the thing about, you know, the show, what the show wants to do, colliding with the fan service problem. As I mentioned before, like, you know, (laughs) we're meant to, you know, find this moment like as a sexual awakening moment for the characters, but it only happens for the guys. And it's as much there for the benefit of the audience as it is for the characters. That is, well, that, that is true, that last part. The, the boys do get revealed to the girls, but then they just throw shit at them. Yeah, but even then, like, they don't seem to have any... Rec- it's like they're the ones who are the fucking eunuchs as opposed to the guys, and it, it, it's yeah. so weird. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think this is um, just perpetuating, like, a generalization about, like, girls and sexuality. Like, men, men are into the physical side of things, and ladies are into the emotional intimacy stuff. And... We both know that those are stereotypes and vast overgeneralizations. And, you know, it's silly. And it's a show, like we said, it's totally being written from a, a very limited perspective. And that, that shows here. I would agree with your argument about the girls being solely like, you know, the ones who meant to fit that emotional stereotype. Except for Zero for the... Two. Yes. Yeah, she's the she's the outlier. She's the quirky one. You'd, like... you'd think that she would like, she, she would like, you know provoke like changes in the girls or like maybe but they treat her just as different as much as they would anyone else even though she's the one who's striding her all around the men like she owns them all i think she wants to this episode i thought was really fantastic in in her ingratiating herself into the group and like pushing back on those on different attitudes that both the boys and the girls have and trying to unite everybody and and it sort of change change the group from within by stirring shit up. <laughs> so I I do think I do think she is trying to do that, and you know the ladies are and some of the guys are are a little bit hesitant to be like accepting of her, but I think they're coming around slowly. Yes, I'm not saying the girls should suddenly start you know being instantly flirtatious here. But I'm just asking for them to have some of the same kind of reaction or, you know, examination of this, you know, going through puberty kind of crap as the boys do. But they don't because that, of course, would get in the way of the fan service. No one wants to see the guys in the showers having a conversation. Well, we do get to this episode. We get to see Hero's ass, among other things. We get to see a lot of boy abs, which I'm a fan of. You're right. You're right, actually. I forgot about that. Yeah, zero, zero, two with her very nimble foot, pulls the towel from <laughs> from Hero's waist. And it is great. Zero Two, like, is there anything she's bad at? Hmm. Well, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'll have to, yeah, 
Perhaps she's bad at board games. <laughs> Zero two can't play Operation properly. Yeah, she just starts shaking. She just starts shaking it up and down to get all the bones out. Don't have her blow on your dice. <laughs> Whoa! Or do. Uh, moving swiftly on. <laughs> okay, so I have been thinking a lot about something that you say often on this show, Hit and. Me. We're 40 minutes into our raw recording, and we have not really started to talk about the plot of this episode, but I think this is important. Hit me. I'm like the Joker on um, in that scene in The Dark Knight when you're trying <laughs> to say, come on, I want you to hit me. Hit me. <laughs> so what you, and you're not the only person that says this, but the the argument often presented is like, well, this show, when it does its fan service, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't give you enough. It's not sexy enough. You can just go out and find porn. It's not leaning into it hard enough. It's too much plot, so the fan service is only detracting, and it's not. It's not sexy. It's they're not. They're not doing it hard enough. They're good enough. And I think I was thinking about this a lot because this show. Um, well, first of all, I think to say that it is not sexy is. A super like subjective claim, right? I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's going to differ from person to person, obviously. But when you're making arguments about duration and emphasis, I think that for certain viewers, they are going to find pleasurable shows with different degrees of duration and emphasis. Like they're basically con- consider it like a slider when you're making mm-hmm. a game or a character. And many people are going to like it up to 100. Many people are going to like it on zero. Uh, and many people are going to like it at different places on that scale. Uh, Frank's is somewhere in the middle. And I think that there's a big portion of late night anime viewers in Japan and, and anime fans here that enjoy like where where the slider is set to in terms of the duration and the emphasis. That they mm-hmm. find that it is sexy and it is just the right amount where they get some of that and they get some story. And if that's not like... If that's not a mix that is for you, I think you have are entirely valid and have every right to be like, look, this isn't doing it for me. This is not working. But I think to say like the show is um, in some in like uh, objectively in error or doing something critically wrong, I, I think that that might be. I don't know if I buy that necessarily. That might not be quite fair. Well. well. I don't disagree with anything you just said. In fact, I actually feel kind of glad now I put in that, you know, caveat before where I said that if you're enjoying it, regardless of what I or anyone else might say, then that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Because I do genuinely believe that. And I absolutely agree with your... That was actually a really good metaphor, actually, for the the whole way this works. And I think that you've pretty much got me bang on the nose as being... We don't know what end of the slider is which, but I'm certainly in one of them. Yeah. (laughs) You're you're a man who prefers extremes. Well... But, Doc, I'm afraid that I have a trump card I'm going to throw into the wrench of this when it comes to Franks later. Or okay. rather one that Franks may actually end up doing itself. It was that little plot point, not plot point, sorry. It was that little critical point that I told you I was going to discuss in a previous episode, but was going to hold off on. Well, okay. Franks has now veered so close to it, I can't ignore it anymore, and I have to put it on the table. But we'll get to it when we actually get to the episode's lesson, so to speak, that the okay. boys learn. Because it's relevant to that, and it's relevant to its construction with the fan service. You may possibly have an idea where I'm going with that, but we'll come to that later. 
So, let's pick up where we left off. After the opening, they're all back at base. Uh, the guys and the girls are yelling at each other a little bit. The girls specifically are giving them uh, a load of shit. Miku is basically in charge for this entire episode as far as, you know, getting the cat claws out. She is pissed. <laughs> and I actually genuinely liked it. Yeah, <laughs> as as much as um I do think that, like, what what birthed this scene, like, the catalyst for this scene, like, definitely could have been reworked or done better um there's a lot of different ways you can criticize it this scene where the boys are getting dressed down i thought was pretty funny i could i couldn't help but laugh yeah apart from certain like you know logical hiccups or characters be idiots such as not noticing hero's scar or hero's own <laughs> general brain dead nature towards you know people and uh, despite being presented as actually being very aware of people's i know look that you're so right about this you're so fucking right about this like jesus hero the man the sorry the the boy that like named named his compatriots and everything and he's a weirdo because he cares about people this episode yeah is like him being like you know what guys I discovered empathy. <laughs> yeah. Now, again, I, I mentioned in the previous episode that because of what's happened to him, with how, you know, he learned he can't pilot a Franks because he's you know, abnormal, that that might have changed him. So I'm still going to hold on to that as my head can excuse of why he's as dense as a fucking breeze block. But the fact that he comes to that conclusion at the end, I just found hilarious. I was like, congratulations, hero. You discovered what you already knew. I mean, for any other character, <laughs> yeah. For all the other characters, I feel like it makes sense. Like, they are boys who are sort of seeing how, like, I don't know, they're they're saying, like, girls are so different. Like, it's hard for us to understand and lots of cliche things, right? And they're then they're like, well, wow, I've never really considered things from their point of view before. Like, the girls as girls, like, how they're feeling about the way we're behaving. Uh, for all the rest of it makes sense. And I know I'm getting ahead of myself. But Hero, again, he's supposed to be the person that was already tapping into this shit. Yeah. 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 And I know he's only human, but it was, like, weird, okay? Like I said, this is all first draft syndrome. The, mm-hmm. the, like you said with the opening scene, you could have revised that into so many different things. In fact, I'll do a revision for you right now that would have solved all of this in one go without changing much. They knock the Klaxosaur out, and for some reason, they all decide to go outside of the rope of the Franks in their little, like, you know, pop-out gantries that they have. And that's when it decides to blow its load. There you go. That Suddenly, it's not so stupid anymore, because they are exposed in the open air. Yeah. And then you can have the guys hit by it as well. Lots of confusion. A lot of Strabbleys get back in the Franks as the Klaxosaur goes back to life, and then they get the thing, and then that's it. Suddenly the, cla- the Franks don't look like they were designed by, you know, the makers of fucking Duplo. Ah! <laughs> Duplo! <laughs> the characters, ex- like, have some self-awareness, and it makes sense. That's a single... Like, I follow that right now. This is simple stuff. But anyway, we've already discussed that. Let's move back on. So, shower scene. There's a shower scene and the girls agree that, you know, fuck the boys. We're not going to tolerate this anymore. Freedom for women, liberation, whatever, you know, you get the point. They're basically mad at him for perving on him. Do not cross this line. Yes. Irony being that this scene is about, you know, why are the boys perving on us when we're perving on them in the show? Fuck's sake. I know, (laughs) I know. This is the the male gaze, like, you know, who's holing the camera, right? And who's watching the show. 
you can't have them, you know, complain about that stuff when you're literally doing that to them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's... It's it's one of those, I guess, where, like, they they ladies have to plan this thing in a space that is only for ladies, but... Their bedroom? But still, exactly. They could have done it I, in the again. bedroom, the night, in, in their pajamas or something. Uh, if If it's... Yeah, but... I just find it hilarious how they're commenting on how creepy... Uh, how the boys are creeps, you know, and they're perverts. And I'm like, who's making this show? Yeah. Do you have any sense of self worth In fact, I'll, I'll, I was going to hold off on this, but I have to say it now because this is the trump card. How the flying fuck does Franks think it's going to get away with having fan service like this when the lesson of this episode is not to perv on the girls? Uh, I don't think that is the lesson. That's literally what they say. That like, We shouldn't perv on them so much. But then Miku says, a little bit is okay, just don't go overboard. Oh, f- Let us look at the verbatim line out of her mouth when she shakes okay, hands with Zotome. You're, you're, you're right. You are right. I don't know. This. I don't think the show can have its cake and eat it like that, though. I mean, it is walking. It's walking a line and it's falling a lot. I mean, like, I, I see where you're coming from. I, I, I think that they're trying to be sex positive and body positive in the way that like a room full of middle-aged Japanese men would write it to be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, admittedly, I don't have full knowledge of episodes five directs. was a lady though. What? Like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, well, I'm talking about this episode in particular. Oh, I, I, I know, but I'm saying like, you know, if they want female opinions on this, then they can have them. And ironically, would you believe episode five was pretty much fan service free? I yeah. wonder why. I, Look, I'm just going to come out and say it right. I wouldn't mind it. I, I think Franks actually could do something really spectacular here if from this point onward, after this episode is over, if with the exception of certain bits with Zero Two here and there or whatever, that it's significantly dialed back on all the fan service. I think there, the opportunity is there. I think the handshake agreement yes. that we'll get to between the two sides like, could, if the show doesn't walk it back for comedy's sake or you know for, for titillation's sake, like could signal a sea change as far as like them actually learning and having some empathy and like you said the boys saying like well like the girls are under all the stress they're giving it their all and you know we're putting them through a lot and also on top of that they probably don't enjoy us leering at them we shouldn't do it so much and the girls saying like well we understand your boys and you're going to do that, but just try to keep it in check. Like, yeah, I feel like you're, you're totally right. Like the, the, the story has built a foundation where, yeah, you could, you could, the trajectory of the show could have a lot less of that. And yeah, and it would be, they just built it into the show. Yeah. This is the thing, right? Um, Lindsay Ellis, I think. Yeah. Lindsay mm-hmm. Ellis, uh, nostalgia chick shouts to her. She did a video, uh, a series of videos on the Transformers series, uh, doing film theory about them. Which are all really great, by the way. You should totally check them all out. They're fascinating insights into, I mean, what you can actually learn from a really, really bad series of films. Like, fucking terrible. Now, she did one on the male gaze. And she did one specifically covering also the character of Michaela Barnes, who is Megan Fox's character in the first two films. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a question, Doc. And this is cheating, because I know that Lindsay asked this in the video of her Twister followers. Tell me what you remember of Megan Fox's character from the first two Transformers films. I mean, I think what it wants you to remember is that she's really hot. <laughs> yes. Spot on. Exactly. 
But Megan Fox's character is actually the most competent human character in the first entire no entire series. Yeah. She has an arc. She's competent at mechanics. Like not a typical feminine thing, by the way. Um, you wouldn't expect women necessarily to be mechanics. Not saying they shouldn't be. In fact, I'm writing a book with which the lead female character is a mechanic, so whoop-de-doo. Um, also, you know, she's got a bad history uh, with a juvenile record. She's trying to make amends. She's trying to do right. And she actually actualizes and saves fucking useless Sam w- fucking Twatwicky's ass numerous times. So she's a competently written character, but the camera and the direction in those films yeah. doesn't gel with the writing it objectifies her and makes you think that she's not meant to be taken seriously or meant to be treated as a person. She's just there for, you know, titillation's sake. Mm-hmm. And then I think of Darling in the Franks and I think to myself, the entire point of this show so far, at least that's what he's building up to, is we should treat the girls with respect, you know, and not objectify them so much. But what does it keep fucking doing? <laughs> this is the thing. The writing and the direction, much as it did in Transformers don't gel. They clash against each other and they weaken the show as a result. I totally get where you're coming from when you said before about the whole slider idea, but if the central thesis of the show is literally we should treat people as people, why is the direction constantly finding ways such as the asinine introduction to undo that and objectify them? See, I'm not sure that that's the thesis of the show. Like, and we've talked about this, like, I don't know what it's about. Like, I'm not even 100% sure yet, like, the big, the, the big, the big thing that they're trying to say. I think this episode, they're, they're, they're trying to, um, they're trying to get at some, like, sex and body positivity stuff in addition to, you know, friendship and team and that kind of stuff. And that they use, this motif of being sort of the, the your your clothes being pulled away from you and flung off like to bring home the idea that like as a team they should expose themselves to one another emotionally and not be guarded because they need to but because they could die at any time they the, the way that they're living their life the job that they have mm-hmm so, I mean, I, I see what it's trying to do and I get it, but like, I just think the execution could could use some sharpening up for sure. But, yeah. but I don't, yeah, but I, um, I just, I, I don't know what the central point is. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I don't know if that's, if it is saying like, don't objectify people or whatever. I don't know. It might be saying like, Hey, guess what? Like, we all objectify each other, and that's fine as long as we're all open about. I don't know. I don't know what it's saying. I have no idea. Okay, no, you're right. Um, I think I misphrased that. What I meant to say was possibly just of this episode, but it's the uh-huh. thing that, the, that we're left with. We're a further the way through the show now, and if we still don't know what it's about, what the fuck? <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. I see. I see some things it's gesturing towards, but like, yeah, it just hasn't. Um, it hasn't come together for me to like coherently say like this is what the show's point of view is. It feels to me like they could go either by dialing back the fan service with this point now having been made, in which mm-hmm. case you would then have it gel. In fact, all of the previous fan service would actually be an artistic point. <laughs> you know, we're yeah. now don't get your own... hopes up. Oh, I'm not. I'm really <laughs> fucking not. But wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Like uh-huh. that suddenly the audiences view of the women changes in line with the characters 
But I'm not. But I'm not expecting that. I. I I have absolutely no fucking hope that that will happen. I don't even have hope that anyone will even, you know, suddenly go to, oh yeah, where the fuck did you get that scar from? I can't even expect them to do that. And then we've got the opposite problem, which is that now it's made this point, the guys, the characters will probably now treat the women better, but the camera sure fucking won't. So what's the takeaway lesson here? You know, don't treat, don't objectify them, don't perv on them. Unless, you know... I object to the show's use of the word perv in all of its forms verb and noun i i just do not and this could just be me but i just don't agree with classifying you know heterosexual boys looking on like hot girls in states of undress as a perversion i mean it just seems incredibly normal and it's not this is not a criticism of you it's of the of no, that's the, the dialogue the, the show that's i know it's um, they use, yeah and i don't know if it's a, a localization or a or the original script but whoever is at fault like yeah i'm just i'm not a fan of the word use i think it's stigmatizes very normal sexual behavior yeah fair enough no i agree and the final thing i'll say on this trump card of mine that i've now dealt and i'll leave you know people's society if i'm right or wrong on it or whatever but the final part i make is that all of the fan service again is tilted solely on the women's side apart from well okay no that's a lie <laughs> it is there, there is there is you know bad how, how could ass. you keep forgetting what hero's ass how, how could how could i remember <laughs> no amount of brain bleach will scrub me clean <laughs> but anyway um but yes the vast majority of the fan service is tilted towards the women because yeah well you know and if it wasn't even trying to make this point in the first place, you know, about don't objectify women, I would not even be anywhere near as bothered. I would be mildly annoyed at, like, you know, the acidity of, like, the, the setup for the episode or certain things like Ichigo's insert shot of an at of her ass. Mm-hmm. I mean, brief as that was, it reminded me of that old trick that Kia Ora pulled in 1970s or so in cinemas where you would be playing, like, a film, and then they just have an insert frame of a Kia Ora advert for, a, like, mm. a single frame. And then because it's just that single frame, you can't get it out of your head. Right, right. And obviously that's not a single frame in Frank's, but similar press. Just because it's it was so short, I was like, what the fuck, what the fuck is this? Why, 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 why? Okay. They really, they, they truly could... There's a lot of potential if they make the choice that we're talking about, like, and they... They're not. They're they, not. they pull it back. Like, it really could be this whole thing of, like... You know, when you're having its sexual awakening, initially the first phase of it is very self-focused and desire-focused, but then other people come into it and you have to manage your sexual desire with seeing other people as people and what their needs are and with other kind of human emotions. Like they could tell this big meta story about it. The, the The bones are there, but like... I, d- I just don't think that they're going to do it. That's not my expectation for this. If if that happens, if that happens, I will quit drinking for a month. <laughs> there you go, folks. I've, I've thrown down the fucking Trigger an A1. We know you're listening. Sober this man up. Yes, your anime is driving me to drink. Now it can drive me away from it. <laughs> Bring it on, motherfuckers. Now that's all that with, let's... Let's keep going. Let's keep trucking. So the girls decide, right, we're going to not deal with the boys in our communal space anymore. And what they decide to do is to tape a line down the middle 
of the entire fucking schoolhouse. Which they even taped it up into the fucking... I'm looking at the frame right now. They even taped it up to the grandfather clock. (laughs) Which is great. It's very fun. And this scene is great because Miku has an amazing Zorame, don't you fucking cross that line or I will rip your fucking bollocks off and feed them back to you face. It's the the most unhinged she's ever looked. Honestly, it's kind of terrifying. I would expect that face on Zero too and not on her. However, because I can't let, you know, my own knowledge of pop culture not ruin something for me, I thought, wait a minute. Where have I seen this skit before? This comedic skit? And I'm 90% certain it was a joke from The Simpsons. I'm almost certain that Marge and Homer had an argument in one episode in which it caused them to divide the house with a line of tape. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, God, well, that's it. This is ruined now. I can't take it as being fresh or interesting because I've seen it done before. And the last time I saw it, the guy was fucking yellow. So, oh, yeah. there we go. Great. Whatever. But at this point, by the way, it turns out they're being watched. And this made me laugh. <laughs> Fucking Dr. Franks and Nana. And... Speak, speaking of Duplo. Shout yeah. out Dr. Franks building shit. He's looking for a microscope. And do you all know what? I had a brief thought. Is he looking at the kids through the microscope? Are they like ah. a tiny little Petri dish? Yes. Fucking really That's, that is what's happening. <laughs> and <laughs> Nana and her un- unnamed male cohort just shrink themselves down. The incredible, what was it? The amazing journey, whatever it was. Doing <laughs> a little fucking capsule. <laughs> that would be the most oh. amazing thing ever if that turned out to be true that they all lived on a giant petri dish. <laughs> In fact, God. that's what the plantations are. <laughs> they keep introducing various viruses in the form of claxosaurs. It's oh, like, oh, this one blew up under the microscope. Oh no, an acidic discharge. <laughs> oh fuck! But yes, um, they're making comments that you know all the kids are going through puberty, and okay, maybe my biology one hundred and one is a bit odd here, and maybe people are going to you know really question what I'm paying attention to here. But all the girls already are fully featured, so haven't they already gone through it? I know. I what a weird part because girls statistically are far more likely to go through it early than boys anyway yeah they they begin earlier so very weird i'll concede that maybe they mean that it's still ongoing you know there's there's still hormonal so i don't know it just seemed a bit odd this was a really weird fact like i was not expecting them to say this like yeah it calls into question a lot of things i've been assuming about the other squads the other people on plantations i mean the generic one from 26 they all they didn't look too much older than no than these guys and yeah i mean it's i thought that that this group 13 here was like just another one you know what i mean i didn't realize that they were so unique they're a test group as uh, frank says so i don't know but again this feels like the story running up against what the directors or direction wants to do okay we need them to be sexually appealing so we'll draw them this way even though they're meant to be going through it now like yeah that's interesting can't have it both ways folks mm. sorry uh there's a nice scene though here with zero two just deciding to jump on hero which i thought was quite cute she's just literally yes. bouncing around she just crosses um, the lines it doesn't matter it's yeah great. i have to say that in thinking about that line i thought to myself zero two like passed through an s-rank barrier with a guy 
for no, you know, because she felt like it. I somehow feel that a line of tape would be the more masking tape is not <laughs> <laughs> the masking tape would be more likely to stop her. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, anyway, so the plan the girls initiate of you know they've firstly decided that because of the way the the home is built that the line they've drawn will stop the guys from going into the baths. And it turns mm-hmm. out, by the way, it is just the one bath. This is important for later. Um, but the guys, because they have, uh, you know, they're not entirely stupid, they go and bathe in the lake. And obviously Miku's like, wait, what? No, my plan! My plan is ruined! This scene. It's so great. <laughs> Zorobe is um, such a jerk. <laughs> he's, he's, being, he's literally being a monkey. Just walks in, shirtless, with only a towel on. Just like, well... What we do on our side ain't your business. Yep. So the girls are complaining while they're cleaning and they make a nice little bit of a joke about the fact that there's always someone there cooking and cleaning for them who we never see, <laughs> which I thought was quite cute. The invisible caretakers? <laughs> yeah. That's that's a nice that's a nice nod there to, you know, the fact that there is just literally someone around doing this for them. Mm-hmm. Um speaking of which, the boys decide, because again they're one upping the girls pretty hard on this, that they take the tape and then draw oh it God. around the fucking dining hall. Yes. Um, so the girls are basically now trapped. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah, they, Miku almost caves. She does. There, There's an interesting bit a couple scenes before uh, the boys bathe in the lake. When the girls are in their room talking, I think it's right before Zero Two jumps on Hero. They're looking out the window. And Ikuno... Again, I noticed this because despite the show being so sexually charged, there's not a lot of touching. Ikuno touches Ichigo on the arm. Mm-hmm. Just at, to, while they talk, she just reaches her arm and puts it on, hand out and puts it on her arm, her shoulder. Mm-hmm. I just think, man, this is significant. They're together a lot more now. Like I, she, I think it's getting pretty close to textual that Ikuno might be at least bisexual, at most gay, because she says. That she wouldn't mind if things stayed like this forever. As in, the boys could just fuck right off and they never interact with them again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm actually not surprised she would feel that way given she's partnered with, oh my God, the, fucking yeah. I- with the fucking ice cube. The worst, the, the worst experience. Yeah. So, I get that. I am actually legitimately surprised, by the way, at no point during what we've seen so far that there's no reference to a piece of pan of all things. Because when she said that, my immediate thought was, oh, Neverland. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not talking about the Michael Jackson place. <laughs> not at all. God, I hadn't no. thought about that in forever. Just just clarifying in case one thinks I'm misrepresenting. No, I'm literally meaning from, uh, was it Robert Barry's book? The, mm. the place where the kids never grow up? Indeed. So, I don't know, maybe that'll become more relevant as a concept later. I'm not expecting to outright reference the novel. That would be... So Goro offers an olive branch and they refuse. Biku then sees Zero <laughs> to... Just step over the line because, again, this is a lady who could not give less of a shit about the military trying to stop her from doing I mean, she stole Strelizia from under them. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck did, was this little line going to do? <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't use it to tape Miku's mouth shut. <laughs> I know. And Hero is all like, oh man, we need to figure this out. Like, enough of this already. But Zero Two has ideas. She's like, nope, we don't need to stop it. We need to push it harder. I think she says it needs to be, quote, spiced up, unquote. She does. Funnily enough, the word I've been using all this time. But when I was watching this, you're thinking of the scene in which they're both outside 
um, <laughs> with Zero Two holding the basketball on her head. And because she's just far enough away, I thought she'd punctured it with her horns. <laughs> I thought she was going to try and get pull it off then and then couldn't do it as something. That would have been great. The, I, I'm so sad that wasn't a thing. But it turns out she's also a dab hand at basketball. So, hey, if she ever quits playing, you know, quits uh, being a Franks pilot, she could do pretty well in the NBA, I reckon. I mean, with what we see later. I want to see her versus Hiro Yoi on the court of basketball. Oh, she would cream his ass. He would... Well, we saw him dunk over people in Gundam Wing because you have to have your robot pilots be good at basketball and show other people up for some reason. Oh, she would She would still beat him. I don't even think this is a competition. I agree. I still want to see it happen. want to see him get his face rubbed in the asphalt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Prick. Speaking of pricks. <laughs> ah! Thanks for the segue, Doc. I love it how you set up so I can knock him down. Uh, Kokoro goes into the greenhouse and we find, you know, Quaalude Popper Extraordinaire. (coughs) (coughs) Yeah, he is the prick in question. Yes, he's got his uh, bottle of pills in hand again, as if, you know, just say, remember this plot point. Man, I... There's... There is enough to me, the viewer, uh, residual tension from Mitsuru's prior actions when he loses it, when he's popping pills, uh, and the tension that surrounded Kokoro picking up the illegal book that she's not supposed to have, such that this scene was pretty tense, but now I think that that well of previous tension has run dry, and anytime I see those two on screen together, I won't feel like something, like a sense of foreboding, which I had felt about them up until this point. Yeah, I like Kokoro starts talking about flowers, she drops the book, Mitsu's like, oh, you took it, and that's kind of it. I'm like, well, that's some time passed. I mean, I'm sure the flower stuff is relevant for other things. But... Well, the flower stuff, which I don't even know, but what I the, the biggest thing I took away from it was, like, A, like we see... Kokoro being motherly once again, ah, like yes, tending right. tending the greens, like she's been reading about flowers, she's planted seeds, she's nurturing. We see she's a very nurturing, albeit shy girl, you know, because she says, like, I can't help but, like, you're a brave, Mitsuru, because you don't toe the line. Like, I was, I was too shy to do anything. So we get her kind of talking about herself and, and showing some things about herself. And Mitsuru, I sort of understood to be a very rigid sort of guy. Like, mm-hmm. certainly cold by the book, uh, mm-hmm. and rigid in his, you know, I, I feel like he's one of the guys that piped up and said, like, oh, what hero? You question Papa? Huh? You question Papa? What? You gonna, you gonna say something against it? So, like, I feel like, yeah, he's um, a rules and structure kind of guy. But he sees her drop the illegal book he knows she's not supposed to have and just looks the other way and says, well, it's no concern of mine. I think that they're setting these two up as a as a pairing uh i feel like that they will pair off at I'm, some point down the uh, road i i don't know what's gonna happen next with these so i mean like again like set up reminder and payoff we've had the setup with beat street popping quaaludes before we've got the reminder now mm-hmm. but where's this going his behavior is not any different normally than it would have been apart yeah. from when he screamed a bloody murder about zero two nearly killing him because she nearly killed him i mean say what you will about him being a prick and all that he was justified in being annoyed at, you know, nearly being devoured alive by her, as people rightly would be. So what? what is this leading to? Like, it honestly would surprise me in the end if the whole pill-popping thing was just dropped entirely off screen. It, and yeah, yeah, it totally could be. 
I I foresee him taking some kind of fall for her, and you don't expect it because, again, he's meant to be the rigid rule follower, and she has stepped out of bounds by taking this book and then presumably doing other things. But then when she gets caught with her hand in the cookie jar, like he will he will take it for her because he's developed some kind of you know against against all of his uh character traits of of loving rules and and being a stickler for them and and not caring about other people he will find himself defending this other person this is what i see happening down the road i honestly i have the opposite impression i think he's probably gonna push her under the bus damn if he does oh that fucker do not mess with kokoro she's rocketing up the charts of best best character she's pretty good actually she's great i really really like her she needs more screen time she's she feels like one of the hearts of the group to be honest just so cute what a cute character i i just like her so much i'm glad that she because she like uh, zora may thinks that she's like the hotness and you could see someone like her with a little bit more self-possession being more like zero two and kind of being out in front and attention seeking and and leading the group and you know just being more overly assertive but like she's just she's very shy and very attentive and very motherly and you know call me stereotypical all that stuff appeals to me hey that's fair that is absolutely fair and i i agree i think she's a very likable character she's certainly she's the one who's you know coming closest to actually discovering some sort of truth about this world and their own situation. She doesn't unfortunately reveal that to the rest of the group, but that's fair. I don't think it's something they're quite ready for yet. I mean, they're not ready for the revelation again at the end of this episode, even though they already kind of know it, but we'll get to yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, that bothered me. Anyway, so the girls pass by um, a locked door with keep out tape all over it in the, on the first floor of their boarding house. I immediately thought to myself, okay, they didn't know about this? What? What? They're- Okay, whatever, fine, I'm sure this will be relevant later. Moving on. Yeah, dystopian society, group of kids raised to follow rules very much, and there's not really, there isn't a super rebellious type among them, apart from Zero Two. So, yeah, they had no reason to visit that area before. I guess you could retcon all that in, but um, it does seem weird that they didn't even know about it. I'm more actually surprised that the um, the adults didn't outright remove the contents of said room. I know! This... That staggered me a little bit. Yeah. Keep out tape? Really? Hmm. Well, this is an experimental test group. I wonder. Oh, not this shit again. I wonder if they did it on purpose. I swear, every time I hear that be- that reasoning or excuse being drolled out for why Franks is going the way it is, I just literally want to start, you know, cutting up cocaine with a credit card. <laughs> because, I, like I said, I don't care for mystery for mystery's sake. And it is a one-stop uh, covers all excuse of why way things are they are but come on we could do better than this as far as foreshadowing goes and what we do learn inside the actual room is well it's baffling in a number of respects but again we have to wait because we've got other events to cover first uh so moving swiftly on from that the girls decide that since they've been so resoundly owned by the lads so far in this you know war of the sexes that they need to hire you know or get involved the one person who can truly and utterly run rings around every single one of them so they, of course, ask Zero Two to join them. Uh, Zero Two makes the comment in the bedroom, by the way, that what they're doing is lame. And at this point, I'm like, girl, you're speaking my language. Yes. 
This is fucking boring. <laughs> okay, well, I, I kid. It's all right, but I, again, I think that the fact that I made the Simpsons comparison and the fact that I hated the opening so much probably dulled my enjoyment of this because it's well executed. It's just yeah, I was I, I was enjoying it. So a, a thing that I thought that um, O'Connor brought to this episode was a sense of pace. Like I thought that everything moved along in a good clip. I never felt like any scene dragged or went on longer than it needed to, and it was um, it was brisk without being overly so in terms of its pacing. So I, I didn't find myself bored, but again, I like that's a totally subjective sort of take. Yeah, uh, when we get to the scene in the bath, by the way, I'm going to throw a comparison at you that will also ruin that for you. So this is why you're glad to have me on this podcast. <laughs> I did not like. I did not care for the bath part very much. Oh, you, so. you're going to care. You're going to care for it less. But I have to say what I have to say about it. I mean, at this point, Doc, we have to. I have to say, I am basically the Rio or Oscar. Uh, Oscar, sorry, Acura. Ah, I am the Rio or Acura. I am your devil. That's okay. That's all right. I'm. I'm. So, I'm terribly sorry for ruining everything for you. I'll die on a rock face as you speak, as you monologue. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> now you really are making me. Oh, right. Moving on. So. The girls have now enlisted the aid of Zero Two, and at this point, as you probably expect, the battle's pretty much over already because Hero can barely deal with her on the best of days, and the rest of them, who you know are suddenly you know can't properly control their urges, are like you know perving all over the shop, as they say. Yeah. I mean, how on earth are they going to handle her? So Zero Two goes right in, rips down the note that's on the bathroom door uh, that says, you know, I'm sorry, no boys allowed, girls only. And she says to the guys as they come down the stairs, oh, it's okay, you can use the bath now. After they've gone, she flips the door over, so it says, girls bathing. And what we have get next is fairly standard comedic, you know, bathhouse fare. It's something that, yeah, like, I just kind of filtered out of it. I've seen it so many times. You've like, seen it in Persona 4. Persona 4, Golden. I mean, as far back as, like, Tenchi Moyo, Ron, like, all, like... All shows involving a bathhouse scene or and or bathhouse episode, which perhaps this is kind of a, a halfway bathhouse episode, have this part where the boys walk in on the girls unexpectedly, and then the girls throw shit at them for like ten minutes. And you're just like, yeah, all right, gotta Whatever. check check that box. Moving on. Yeah, it's really. I mean, I've not even seen even like. A- a tenth of the anime you have, and it still feels really uninspired. It's so and prevalent. And you know what they could have done? Just, just a, such a simple thing to make this more interesting and to solve the complaint I made before. Have it be the boys who are already in there, and have the girls be the ones who walk in. Right. That would have been something different. Yeah. And we'd have then got a nice, you know, reversal of the previous stuff. Because again, as I've said before, only the boys are horny. <laughs> that's literally it <sighs> the girls could not give a shit and I, I i'm not saying that all the girls have to suddenly be spontaneously horny as well that's not the way it should be but not one of them has any interest in what's going on and they're not allowed the chance to because they're not seeing the boys in the same way the boys see them or not given the opportunity to do so again because the emphasis of this entire episode is just the girls losing their clothes not the guys and i'm like come on can we not try and mix this up just a little? This would have been such a simple change. But this is the scene in which Hero, we see his ass. His towel gets ripped from his body. And he is he lays bare on the floor, completely unclothed. 
and chases Zero Two around the house who's carrying all the laundry. Right, right. Let me just say this. After seeing Victor from fucking Yuri on Ice in that hot spring... That's true. Nothing... Everything fails in comparison. You're right. And I say that half as a joke, but I also say that with a half truth that... Come the fuck on, guys. Just up your game here a little bit. Let's try and, you know, not be entirely about... It would have spiced the actual scene up a little bit. It made it unconventional. It made it interesting to watch. The girls might have had their own reaction then, you know, like the boys would have been justified in throwing stuff. It'd have been a nice subversion, as opposed to being, well, pastiche and, you know, old hat. Generic as fuck. I mean, we've got a director here with such a storied history, but I know. It really feels like he's just going by the playbook, which is such a shame. Yeah, I can't really think of in the stuff we named, you know, from Totoro to uh, Cyber City to. Darker Than Black, and Wolf's Rain, I can't really think of Hot Springs scenes in any of that shit. Well, he's the director, though. He's not the writer, so... That is true. Yeah. So I'll I'll concede that. But uh, being a director, though, you are allowed some input. And, uh, you know, like I'm saying, we need to have fan service in this for the guys who we're writing the show but, for. Well, to be fair, I don't think we even see that much of the girls in it. We just... They're, they're in the water. They have towels on throughout most of, of this part and where did they get like, the towels from actually come to think of it they were completely naked in the in the early part yeah and the i don't i don't know nowhere uh, pff, who knows they just sort of i don't know it's not even like and this is a part where i'll agree with a lot of what you say like it's this scene in particular is is just rote and not like a it you know in any way like exciting or titillating or anything like there's it's just kind of a nothing scene. It's creatively bankrupt is what it is. But it does, however, lead into a nice little bit in which Zero Two has a rather impish grin on her face as she steals all of their underwear. It didn't go... Thankfully, it didn't go on very long, and it was intercut with what you're talking about now. Yeah. So Zero Two runs away, and she says, All right, darling, come at me. And she does literally do yes. the Bruce Lee palm gesture, which is amazing, and... Kakatekina! <laughs> thank God for this character. I know. She she makes this show breathe when so Ma'am. much of it is otherwise insufferable to me. She's like the color in the black and white. She's got pink hair, so you're actually half right. <laughs> Fucking, like, yeah, Hero's like, what are you doing? I don't understand. And she's like, I want to fight you. <laughs> For real. <laughs> which is like, which is half, like, true. I mean, she's never gonna... She It comes out in drips and drabs why she's orchestrated all this, but... But yeah, clearly she wants to have a tussle with her with her man. Yeah, it's it's fun watching this, and admittedly she does cheat by entering the Matrix a few times with the fucking <laughs> leaps that she pulls up. It's amazing. She is, she is backflipping the fuck out. And this is where the actual direction, like the director's pedigree, would seem to be served quite well, because it's wonderfully done. It's very fluid seeing her like leap around and just gently teasing him. It's it's quite flirtatious, yeah. and I really liked it. It it's is. just... Mm-hmm. It's just unfortunate that one of the two parties is a character I think is brain dead, for lack of a better term. But there's so much I love about about all this, like the chase, and then in an, in one part that they are cutting to and from, you have boys and girls th- throwing pans at each other and yelling at each other, you know, mm-hmm. in various states of undress. Uh, and then you have these two up on the roof at zero two 
flings the basket of laundry into the air, like all the clothes in slow motion disperse everywhere. That was her ultimate attack. She's just basically like, who fucking cares? It's just your body. It's just a naked body. Who cares? <laughs> like the first, hey, the first time Hero met her, she was but naked. So this is consistent, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, like kids unwind a little bit and get over this, and I appreciate that. And it's so galling and brazen. The hero can only just laugh. It breaks him out of this, like, uh, you know, where he's like, "What are you doing?" and sort of like um, annoyed at her to some degree. Her her actions are so out there that like yeah I mean he just laughs and he's just like well you got me there <laughs> he actually feels like a human being for a brief moment and yes I know that the, these characters are meant to be like repressed in various ways but come on they don't need to be Vulcans for fuck's sake Vulcans <laughs> yeah they they don't need to be like that they can be a bit more animated so that's good. But the problem I had with all this is that I again have to remind myself we've just had the beach episode. The kids are letting off steam when they've already let off steam. It is it is put in a weird spot. I mean, as much as I like the episode itself, it probably could have stood to be at a different point in the show. You could literally take episode 7, the beach scene out here, and it would actually gel with the events of episode 6 quite well. It would work, with the exception of, the, of Kokoro's book, of course. You would need to establish that somehow. But otherwise, it gels pretty much straight from episode 6. Like, episode 7 now feels even more like a unnecessary anomaly, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, they, they accomplish slightly different things, but but yeah. I mean, having them back-to-back is probably not the best decision in yeah. terms of composing this story. Yeah, you generally speaking need, like, a sense of rising and falling tension and... We've had the fall, and now things should start to rise again, but it's continuing to fall, which is mm. odd. Until until the end, like a little wee bit. Ineffectually, sadly. I don't think it's... I don't think so, but we'll get to that. We will, we will. Uh, so, Zero Two says, Darling, like, do I look more human now? And when she said this, I was, I was literally gripping my desk. I was like, finally! Yeah. Finally, we get to have some insight into her character. She's going to reveal something about her past. We're going to learn some juicy morsel of info and nothing. Fuck diddly squat Oh, I thought that was really significant. It's, we've that... had this happen before, though, like about, you know, her making statements about, like, am I human or not? And I'm like, okay, that's fine. We've had that before, but now can we have more? We're a third of the way through here. Give us something. I still have no fucking clue where she came from. Why she is the way she is, what's driven her to the point she is now, why she's so obsessed with Hero beyond just simply piloting with him. We need more. Like, I just wanted one nugget of info. Yeah, I guess the other, like, this is meant to get the other characters caring about her as much as we care about her. Well, it's, it's the only person she's saying this to is Hero, and... Well, I mean, that I'm saying the whole reason why she did this. Oh, to ingratiate herself with others. Yeah, to bring everyone together and to break everyone's walls down and make everyone realize, like, we, we don't need these the artificiality of pretense and propriety. We need to, if you all have anything to say to each other, just say it, man, because you might not live to see tomorrow. You're all going to die. She actually says you're yeah. all going to fucking die. Yeah. I, I buy her a bluntness, but, well, anyway. Yeah. I mean, she's try yeah, trying to be more human. Trying to be part of the the group and change the group 
for the better. And because they are repressed, as you say. Yeah. I, I mean, her saying, you know, they're all going to die, even that could have led into something more. Why does she think that? Now, I'm not talking about necessarily just, you know, because she's been through stuff. Like, have her yeah. say what she's been through. Right. Why she feels that way. Has every single person she's ever cared about died in her entire life? Has she ever cared about anyone at all, apart from, you know, Hero up until now? Give us something. Yeah, we could have used another another drip or two on her. Yeah. I agree. I do agree. But having her, like, just simply say, do I look human now? I'm like, this is the inverse of the thing that happened with her in Ichigo. And I'm like, okay, that was three episodes ago. Can we have a little bit more? Can we, can we learn anything about this mysterious enigmatic figure? Nah. Nah. Fuck that. Well, what happened between her and Ichigo was her being alien. And this is this is her being human, or trying to be. I'm talking about specifically the dialogue she says with references to what do you think is human and her saying that here. Because that's what she says to Ichigo, like, what do you think it means to be human? Am I being human now? And like, okay, we, we get it. This is, be, this is being a question, like, what does that mean? This yeah. is a plot point. But are we going to do anything with it? <laughs> of course we fucking ain't. Later. Later. <laughs> Later. Whenever. Whenever we get round to it. Fuck it. Who cares? We've got 24 episodes to burn through this shit. <laughs> fucking hell. Who, who gives a fuck? Yeah. This is definitely not, like, what whatever you think about Franks. I do think that you. it's impossible to make the argument that it is efficient storytelling. At least, you know, assuming it's a very straightforward, non- largely non-meta kind of narrative again as we've said before we don't know what it's about I know. and i'll be fair and i'll be fair again i every time i make this complaint about a show that's in this relative stage of its life cycle i always have to pull up the steinsgate comparison because as much as i love that show and adore its bits it, it in it itself Ooh, it's slow it's f- fucking glacial absolutely fucking glacial so okay i'll make the concession um, what Zero Two then does is she prostrates herself like Christ for reasons and then falls off. Hero's like, no! And I'm like, yeah. I hope he slips and bangs his head. <laughs> but Zero Two, of course, is, you know, she's she is basically the major. She's got the same agility, and so she just fucking somersaults all around, lands on the ground, looks up at him and like, what, did you really think I was going to fucking fall? You idiot, you. <laughs> and so the guys and girls keep fighting, uh, Nana intervenes and says, <laughs> "What the hell is all this nonsense?" Yeah, that kind of puts paid to that. So, uh, thank you very much, Miss Trunchbull, for uh, you know intervening there. Yes, yes, she and unnamed crew cut give them a lecture. Yes, and they are very surprised that this happened. And I'm like, um, you know, Nana, were you not like a kid once? <laughs> Did you not, you know? Or we could just literally put out of a vat in much the same way as yeah, I suspect I, everyone else I would. Think, I think it's meant to, like, yeah, say that about, like, this world. That, just to emphasize what it's like, you know, we're, um, how do I say, like, rather than showing us, like, examples of other groups, you know, you just hear this throwaway line. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not throwaway, but like this this single line of dialogue, I think, is meant to communicate a lot about the rest of the world. But you know, that's may or may not satisfy your your storytelling wants. Indeed. So after getting thoroughly scolded by Miss Trunchbull and whatever the fuck his name is, the girls and the guys retire to their respective dormitories, to their respective bedrooms, and the girls protest at zero two, like, "What were you thinking?" and She's got this wonderful little rocking back and forth, like mm-hmm. she could not give less of a fuck what they think, and I, I was genuinely amused by that. But 
she very aptly points out pragmatically because they are soldiers after all if you've got stuff you want to say and you want to do you might want to do it quick because there's no guarantee of coming back alive tomorrow now then one point i want to make let's just jump back briefly to episode six do you recall how i said that in some way i was actually okay with one of the cookie cutter kids not dying yeah i actually now take that back Mm, yeah because this point um along with what happens with miku later would have been so much more potent and hit home so much more... So Sorry, would have hit home so much harder if they had seen that happen to someone firsthand, which they hadn't Yeah, yet. although maybe perhaps... Maybe the reason they can be so flippant and have this childish battle of the sexes and make fun of each other so lightheartedly and kind of live the life they're living is because they've been sheltered from death, hmm. despite hearing about it conceptually yeah. like they haven't really encountered it yeah that's actually fairly clear given what zorame says later but i also have to say that although i think that would be a benefit for this point it also would really not gel very well with them going to the beach next episode that would uh that would yeah that would have been weird (laughs) there there might be ways you could have written around it but i think that generally speaking telling them that you know death is going to be around the corner it's all well and good, but it would have been more effective if it had been shown to them in some way. I mean, the only person who's really seen someone die firsthand is Hero, uh, specifically with Oxygen Mask Man. Yeah. You re- remember him? <laughs> yeah. And then, the- theoretically, Naomi, but she didn't die. She didn't die, but she is still harassing him as a ghost, so... <laughs> Fucks if I know. And the boys, meanwhile, are having their own discussion, and this is the one where Hero comes to the conclusion that he already knows. I know. This <laughs> is... We've... Yeah. We've discussed this, so we'll not we'll not dwell on it. I never thought about what they were thinking. <sighs> but that's your whole character. That's the one that's the trait dense. that just never mind. Dense motherfucker. So, okay, all the guys now come up to the con- come to that conclusion. Yeah. Get a flashback to, you know, Hero taking care of Zero Two in episode six. Um blah blah blah. But then we have the great moment with Kokoro. Yes. Kokoro now actually takes command and says, like Look, let's just make peace with the guys. You know, there's a bringing us two together, even though we're so very different as far as sexes go, is important because it gives birth to the bit, 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 the new hope for the future. You know yes. what I'm talking about. And this about. is after she's looked at the books. So she's obviously been reading Babies for Dummies at some point, and she's now got some insight. Yeah. But they, she doesn't outright reveal that. I think that, like, I, I don't know. I'm torn. I think that I I want to say that they do a good job of making this point be about it's good for opposites to be together and not making it incredibly heteronormative and pushing the the hetero angle of it like girl and boy it should be together because of the babies like but there is a little bit of that and I can definitely see how that can bother some people but I think the words that she actually says like she's she's getting at like it's good for us to be together because as a group, we all complement one another, yes. which, which is like, um, I, I mean, I guess you could like, I don't, I, it's so hard. I guess you could say it. That's sort of a dog whistle to heteronormativity in some ways, but, um, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. <laughs> right. <laughs> God, F- fuck, fuck that. Um, but, but like, I, I, um, to, to me, it, it, it just, it, it did not read at the time as sinister in that way, but 
I very much understand if people encountering that scene are repulsed by it in some ways, which is unfortunate because like this is like a it's supposed to be a triumphant moment for Kokoro. She's, I don't want her to be like a mouthpiece of regressive ideology or, you know, sexuality here. Mm-hmm. But like, well, I, I totally, I can't argue against people taking it that way because I, I see that laid out there. We haven't had any real hints otherwise apart from Zero to licking Ichigo and Ikuno at various points. I mean, yeah. again, I, I think you could totally read in, you know, Zero to possibly being a little bit into Ichigo. And you mentioned before about Ikuno. Mm-hmm. You know, possibly swinging that way. But I, again, always have to keep going back to that nagging little problem in that it's not there for the story. It's there because, well, you know, is it Yowie? There you go. Yowie. Or is it Yori? It depends on if you're talking about boys with boys or girls with girls. Girls with girls. That is uh, Yuri. Yuri. So there you go. It's there for the Yuri. It's not there because it'll make sense in the story or because it'll be about the characters. It won't be there in a scum's wish kind of way. But look, I, well, I think that's legitimate too. But again, like, (laughs) you can't have your cake and eat it, unfortunately, when you're trying to do something like this. I don't get the feeling they would put it in there for any reason other than, okay, we discussed, you get the point. There, there, there. Broken records. Yes. Honestly, like, if I repeat myself anymore, I'll become a parrot at this point. So, anyway. So, after this discussion, Miku's like, no, fuck that. I ain't getting, I ain't, you know chilling with the guys anymore and she storms off so they go to find her uh, the guys and the girls together that is and miku has stormed into one of the rooms that was locked away with the keep out tape so the tape uh, could be torn down the door was not locked in any way great fantastic which again feels like it's on purpose it's a mystery they're saying hey kids wink don't come in here at all. Wink, wink. We wouldn't want you seeing what's here. Wink, wink. Elbow in the ribs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm honestly surprised there wasn't a neon sign above it saying plot points in here. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, oh, fuck. Okay, so Miku goes in there and she sees that there's the room around her. And after, you know, complaining about the boys, she finds a photograph. Now, the photograph is of the previous group of kids that were here. Mm-hmm. And she freaks the fuck out over this. Um, it's actually really well directed, mm-hmm. this little bit. Flicking back and forth between her eye um, and also certain items like a teddy bear. This was a place that was lived yeah. in and it had things of value to people. So very which, well directed. Which I think, yeah, absolutely. So, it, yeah, there. it's not the best um, anime panic attack uh, or anxiety sort of moment that I've seen in anime, but it was very, very good. And I, I'm glad you mentioned the teddy bear because I do think that this moment was extremely personal. I think it was not just about this idea of, well, there were some soldiers here before and they died and now I'm a soldier and I could die. I think that there's more to it than that for Miku specifically. I think that there's some some trauma there that um, she's blocking out or just hasn't talked about or whatever that um, we will hopefully find out about. But but I do think there's more to it than what the other characters conclude about. Yeah. All the characters come in. Zarmi actually kicks the fucking door down. Yeah, boy. He's like, my girl. 
<laughs> I'm gonna come get you. I got you, fam. <laughs> He's not the one holding her, though, as she weeps, so which I felt was a bit That's of a true. missed opportunity. Who's holding her? It was one of the girls. I, it, yeah. It's not Sarame, so at the end of the day... Was it Kokoro? It would. I hope it's Kokoro. Like, that would make all the sense in the world. Yeah. So, Hiro picks up the picture. There's some really nice lighting here, because it's now dark. Uh, Hero's staring it in shadow. I quite liked all of this. I'm just not particularly sold on the revelation hitting home that hard because I'm 90% certain that they already knew that all of their pre, you know, their plantation's previous group was wiped out. Or uh, they did, yeah, yeah. I think that they did too. I, I get, I get the idea that maybe point face system and all that is a thing, but this is not entirely new info. No, well, but think about, um, I guess from their point of view, if you're kind of frolicking along doing your high school or middle school thing. And then zero two is like, Hey, guess what? You're all going to die. So fuck it. F- fucking get your shit together. And then you're like, Oh man, what a downer. I mean, guess she's right. There were other, you know, we see people die. I've heard about people dying in Klaxosaurs and then you stumble into it. And that linked up with, um, what zero two said can form a Voltron of, uh, self-doubt and depression and anxiety <laughs> yes that's amazing <laughs> uh y- you know um they have this shot in which focused on a diary and mm. Parmi really wanted this to just simply be not miku looking at the picture but her reading the diary uh. that i think would have been that i think would have been more effective if she read it out loud um, and then you get to the last entry, like, we're going out to fight everyone's, you know, super pumps. We've been so affected together lately, and the rest of the pages are blank. That would have been fucking chilling, I think. And it would have mirrored their own feelings right now, you know, that they're, you know, they're pretty high on happiness. You know, they've had a good laugh and a joke, but, well, tomorrow it could all be over. They could just be another blank page. And that's what I would have done. And I hope that they actually come back to the diary. It's like I said, I just, I think that there's more to it. it I think it's, there's more going on with the with Miku particularly than fear of future death. I think that it's triggering a past trauma. And that's why she has a panic attack versus everyone else just being gloomy about it. We'll find out, I hope, much as <laughs> I hope we'll find out about everything else in this fucking show. Ah! It is really bad at kicking the can down the road holy shit oh fuck me okay that's pretty much the end of the episode oh, oh, no sorry t- zero two wearing a white suit now after her old red one melted away i thought was a nice way to end the episode about her becoming one of the team and the team wasn't she wearing together. the white one at the start of this episode? oh was she i didn't notice i knew that she was wearing red before she was in the past but i'm fairly certain her outfit in the first Half was okay so she already has way. has done the white suit well i just didn't notice so well that's a nice thing throughout the episode then of, of her wanting to be one of the girls i really wish they'd done what you said though uh-huh if they just had to be the red one first and then you, you literally have the logical reason for switching from the red to the white and it gels yeah. with the, oh fucky whip we're, we're two fucking dipshit podcasters <laughs> and we we're coming up with ideas that not to blow our own fucking trumpets here, but the oh fuck, you get my you get my point. Yeah, well, and as many and as many bad lines as Hero has given to end previous episodes, and there have been a couple of real bad ones. Absolute clangers. Just clangers is right. Some some debacles of 
of a closing line. I thought the closing exchange between he and Zero Two was awesome, and where they look at each other, and having learned everything he's learned over the last few days, he says, look, Zero Two, I just want you to speak your mind to me from now Hasn't on. Hasn't she always Don't hold that? anything back. Well, I think she's been blunt and inscrutable, but I don't, I mean, I think he just is saying, like, Tell tell me what you're really feeling, and you like, can open up to me. Yeah, okay, like be a hundred percent honest. And sometimes she has, and sometimes she's been, you know, very playful and evasive. And and you know, and, and even if she hadn't, like, I think it's important for him to affirm, to reaffirm that kind of um, open channel of dialogue. And then the first thing she says, I mean, she does it. She says everything she feels about him. Says, "Grab me and don't let go." Aww. And I was like, "Fuck yes." That's what I'm talking about. You, she said she still could do better, but well, okay, nice note to end on. And I also like that they honored the you know previous group by restocking the lilacs in the. Um... Yes, yes, that was that was really nice. That was a nice touch. I think it would have been better if there was a more personal connection between them and the previous group. If, but I don't know how they would establish that. But I liked it for what it was. I will appreciate that. And well, that's episode eight. Woo. I have to I I have to say even even after all that though what is the ongoing idea we don't know there's no immediate narrative push through to the next episode like as an as the audience we don't really know anything new like okay yeah all the previous group are dead we knew that fine cool whatever I I'm hoping that there is more to it like with Miku specifically that'd be something nice to give her character like an arc or a challenge that she has to overcome herself because as far as character arcs and challenges go for the individual characters um I could see shades of sun for some of them. I could see Zora May's worldview being shattered when inevitably, you know, it turns out that Papa's, you know, not got a brand new bag for them, but mm. instead is a complete prick. Ichigo has been, had fucking walls put in front of her since the jump. She's had the lion's share of the issues, although yeah. hasn't really had them examined or properly changed them in any real way, apart from, mm-hmm. you know, deciding she's going to stick by the love of her life, even though he's... Honestly, about as useless as a second-hand condom. God. I'm I'm really trying hard to kill Doc here, folks. Huh? <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> often. Sorry, um, under the weather today. My bad. It's all good. Goro's been sailing through life. I'd like for him to have some kind of, you he's know, challenges nascent, and growth. He's got some nascent feelings towards Ichigo. Like, very mild at the moment. Yeah, I, I like so that, some of the things he says, but I just, I want to see him uh, overcome something emotionally. Kokoro's got the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and the flowers. So that's, so that's something, And I the guess. interest in Mitsuru, the worst guy. God, poor Kokoro. M- Mitsuru's, you know, got his Quaalude problem. <laughs> Not that that matters, <laughs> really. Uh, Futoshi, <sighs> what is the, never mind. I don't know what his whole skit is. Yeah, it's we just... don't know. We don't know. Yeah, he's like the least um, screen-timed person. He's a guy, no said. Yeah. He loves Kokoro with all his heart. Poor guy. I really didn't think she's going to trade trade him in for uh, Mitsuru. Oh, god damn it. Honestly, like, he... Poor guy. He is such a nice guy, but... He tries. I, he I'll, tries. I, I am going to bet money that if any one of them is going to get smurfed first, actually, it's probably going to be him... Yeah. And Kokoro in one go. No. No. Frank, they're piloting the same machine. You can't get out of this. Although maybe they can, but... 
fuck that noise. That cannot happen. Listen. I am reckoning Fusoshi is set for the meat grinder. He's such or a... Or it's going to be Zorame. Poor guy. He's an earnest dork, basically, is what all he's gotten so far. Like, when people like Goro in the beginning of this episode was like, look, we didn't say anything about the acid eating away your clothes because, well, we didn't want you to get distracted from the battle. And then Futoshi's just like, I just really love you, Kokoro. And she's just like, oh my god, I'm turning red. I can't believe you just said that. And then Mitsuru's like, what a fucking moron. Yeah, pretty much. So let us conclude on the episode and give racings. I've said everything I really want or need to say about this particular episode. <laughs> More than <sighs> anyone else will probably ever say about Darling in the Franks episode eight. <laughs> oh god, I've. I'm so sorry for basically verbally ma- like jerking off so hard on this, but honestly, this this show it bothers me so much because I can so often see promise of it being good mm. in whatever way you want to take it, but to me personally, it just doesn't want to do that. And for this episode, with everything I've said, I'm gonna ultimately give it uh, two and a half bath. Pot thing, whatever you want to call them. Bath pans, I don't fucking know. Two and a half, there you go, folks. Two and a half out of five, middle of the road, whatever, moving on. No, I'm much more positive on this one uh, now than you. Even though, like, you know, I I think big picture-wise with this show, I'm not super sure where we're going. I do think that... The characters are really enjoyable. I enjoy seeing them and learning teensy, weensy, itty-bitty little bits about the world from time to time. And I had fun this episode. The scene in which the girls pelt the guys with various bath pans brought it down a little bit in my mind. So I'm going to give it a three and a half flung undergarments out of five. <laughs> fair enough then so yes once again folks we continue the trend i'm you know cantankerous snarky old bastard never known a day's joint no, i'm kidding i don't <laughs> <laughs> now we i when i come down the show i do that with a caveat that all of what doc says is again much as i said earlier you know your mileage will vary on this and if you take genuine joy out of the show and find something positive from it that is fantastic I've got nothing against that whatsoever. So, might my might be you no know, cantangerous rocking on a chair, shaking my stick. Oh, it could have been so much better than this. If it didn't have those fucking... And I won't argue with you. I I would very much like uh, the a version of the show that you are um, talking about. Mm-hmm. I, but I'm not going to pretend that necessarily that's the best way it should go. It's just what I would suggest mm-hmm. don't don't uh, please don't take it as like gospel on me saying i know better like like i said i'm just a dipshit on a podcast well listen i mean the show is hardly above criticism it is <laughs> it's it's very imperfect and could could be a god i hope it's not this but it could end up being 24 episodes of wheel spinning for all i know but I've enjoyed the spinning of the wheels so far. But we'll we'll see. It's it's always a exciting time to watch a new one each week and try to predict what part is going to bother you the most. 
fucking hell. Well, if that's, you know, if I can make entertainment out of me just grinding my teeth and wanting to, you know, throw beer bottles at my TV screen, well, so be it. Anyway, folks, uh, thank you all very much for listening, as always, to Stream of Thought here on Warrior Desho covering Darling in the Franks. Longer one than usual, um, but that's mainly because of the housekeeping that we had to do at the start. Mm-hmm. Business will return to normal next week, provided nothing strange or unusual happens. In the meantime, if you want to find us on the interwebs, I am at Shaden1010 on Twitter and at CuriousCat.me forward slash Shaden if you would like to ask me anything in particular. Um, if you ask me, you know, what you can get me from the bar, that would be particularly great as well. So please feel free to send that one. If you like, you know, the alcohol version of coffee, the, uh, you know, donation site. Maybe I'll set ah. it up someday. Sigh.der. Ah. There we go. That works. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I may have to do that. That's great. And what about, and what about you, my good sir? Where can they find you on the internet? At the Subtle Doctor on Twitter and CuriousCat.me slash The Subtle Doctor. Excellent. Well, folks, until next week, we will return with Darling in the Franks episode 9. Thank you all again very much for listening. And as always, embrace each other, everyone, until the ends of the universe. Mwah!